All right, Stephen Clayton is a recent member of Crosspoint. As Stephen comes, let me just say a few things about him. Stephen Clayton just graduated from Columbus State University. He is a trombonist, major in trombone and music, and very recently went to Winnipeg, Canada, which is actually the country just north of us, and he accepted a position to play in the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. And um, so that is a, a really big deal, very competitive. He'll be doing that for a year. Um, but Stephen, as he, uh, he came to faith younger at a, at a church in Orlando, but through the influence of some friends, some really gospel-centered friends here at Crosspoint and at CSU, just really came to a good understanding of theology and is thinking about just ministry in the future. And just as a real, I'll tell you one thing about Stephen before I get out of the way and let him speak to you. When he did his member interview, and we asked everybody to tell us, you know, how did you become a Christian? And then we asked, what is the gospel? Um, I've listened to hundreds of those over the years, and Stephen's explanation of the gospel was, it, it moved me to tears. It was so outstanding. And his face lit up, and it was just one of the clearest, most thorough, most biblical, most warm-hearted, most Christ-centered two or three minutes of an explanation of the good work of Christ I, I, I think I've ever heard. I just wanted to, I just wanted to like hug him. And um, I didn't. I just kind of wept a little bit, but it was really encouraging. One final thing. Up to about a week ago, he had a really awesome Scandinavian beard. He looked like a, like a Viking from the Middle Ages, and he shaved it off. So I give to you, friends, the clean-cut Stephen Clayton. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Well, I mean, I was about to get up here and say just a little bit about myself because I'm rather new to the, to the cross point scene here, but uh, there's no need to do that anymore. So we'll just, we'll just jump right in um, to, to our text. Our, our text this evening is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I'll read the passage and then we'll pray and then we'll, we'll get started. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, please pray with me. Our holy Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word. Uh, we rejoice that you've given us a word um, to, to learn more about you. God, I pray that you would help us understand this text and to, to draw deeper truths out of it and to be, to be grown in the knowledge of the gospel uh, from it. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. All right, so the first thing that I think we ought to notice uh, about this text is, is, is just comes right... Um, Right in the very beginning of, the, of, of verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. We're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time understanding just that phrase. We're going we're gonna to first look at what is the extent of all scripture. Um, what does Paul mean by saying all scripture? Does he mean just the Old Testament or the New Testament or little bits of each or, or what? Because there's, there's all kinds of um, notions out nowadays about what that term means, all scripture. And so we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time um, understanding that. Then we're going to look at and reflect on how that all scripture came into being. As, as, as Paul says, it was breathed out by God and, and the implica implications that are there. Um, and then we're going to transition into looking at how 
all Scripture, as it is breathed out by God, is profitable to us. Uh, Paul gives us a couple points of of application to uh, for Timothy, and and uh, just a couple more in verse 17, and and we'll we'll really dig into what that means and how we can apply that to our lives. So without uh, further preamble, we're going to get into the extent of of what. Paul means by the, the term all Scripture? Well, uh, I think first of all, we ought to go one verse prior to verse 15 um, and see that it's explicitly including the, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is, this is verse 15. And how from childhood you, Timothy, have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So clearly, uh, all Scripture is the next two words after that. Uh, Paul is referring to these sacred writings, which are able to make you wise. Um, now, one thing I want us to notice is that it is the sacred writings, and, and the, uh, which is a weird word to maybe ruminate on for a second, but it is a definite article, uh, and that means it defines and limits what, com- what comes after it. So the sacred writings, uh, as opposed to some sacred writings or a sacred writing or several sacred writings or whatever, but it is specifically the sacred writings. And in this context, it's, it's not ambiguous. It's, it's the, the sacred writings that are in view here uh, are, is the Jewish, um, is, the, is the Hebrew Bible, the, the, the Old Testament as we have it in our Christian Bibles. Uh, and we know that because those are the only uh, sacred writings that have been around since Timothy uh, was young and has been acquainted from childhood with them. So, so that's how we know it is the, the Jewish Old Testament. And, and Paul says he was uh, raised by his mother and grandmother who were both faithful uh, Jewish women on the scriptures. Uh, however, one thing I want to, to note, which might seem curious to some of us, is that uh, Paul says that these Old Testament sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. That they, they didn't really have the New Testament at all, any of the gospel accounts or anything. And, and Paul is making the statement here that the, the Old Testament sacred writings are what is able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. However, this should not surprise us because we read in Acts that these are the Old Testament are the scriptures that Paul reasoned from to uh, the, the Athenians and the Thessalonians in Acts chapter 17 and who Apollos reasoned from to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 18 and, and Stephen, the first Christian martyr, reasoned from these Old Testament scriptures uh, in Acts chapter 7 to the Sanhedrin. Uh, but, but more notably than each of these, I think it's important to see uh, in Luke chapter 24, uh, the, the Savior Jesus himself um, reasoned with his disciples after his resurrection that uh, from the Old Testament scriptures that uh, he, he was the Messiah. Um, and, and this is Luke 24, uh, verse 27. This is Luke narrating. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, uh, meaning the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And, and later, verse 44 of the same chapter, this is Jesus now speaking. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So now back to, to, to consider at least what, uh, part of the definition of all Scripture as Paul is using it. Um, 
is the Old Testament, which testifies to God's mighty uh, creating and redeeming work in the world, and, and specifically in the uh, nation of Israel, and how that is enough to be made wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, but now, what about the, the New Testament? Um, I think we, we must conclude for, for several reasons um, uh, that Paul includes the New Testament in this assessment of the, the phrase, all Scripture, um, because we know that Second Timothy is the last letter he ever wrote. He wrote it right before he was martyred in Rome. So this, this is the last thing that Paul wrote. And so it would logically follow that every other writing of his that we have came before it. And naturally, we see over and over again throughout his other uh, epistles uh, to the Romans and to the um, Ephesians and the Galatians and the um, Corinthians that uh, he included himself as someone who was commissioned by Jesus to write scripture as an apostle. Uh, and just turning quickly to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 20, it says, um, uh, sorry, um, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is Paul talking about the church, uh, that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And here we see Paul teaching that there is a relationship between the prophets of the Old Testament, which we've seen he, him assert is, is breathed out by God, and the apostles of the New Testament. There's, there's a relationship there, namely that Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone of their revelation and subsequent establishment of the church. We also see in Paul's, letter to the, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 14, verse 37, uh, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord, making it obvious that Paul considers his writings to truly be a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ, which categorically includes in that description that it is God-breathed. Now, moving beyond Paul's writing just a, just a little bit to see sort of the, um, the aggregate of the uh, apostolic teaching, meaning not just Paul's teaching, but Peter's teaching and, and the other um, apostles' teaching too. Uh, we see... Uh, agreement, at least in Second Peter, where um, in, the, in the last chapter of Peter's uh, second epistle in chapter 3, he's talking about uh, our beloved brother Paul's writing, and he, he puts it on the same level as the Old Testament scriptures, saying in verse 16, there are some things in them, meaning Paul's writing, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. And the other scriptures in that passage is referring to the Old Testament. So Peter is explicitly putting Paul's writing on the level um, with the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, so we may conclude then, beyond doubt, that in Paul's... Um, in Paul's use of the word, or of the phrase rather, all scripture is the New Testament uh, because his own, his own writings, he's, uh, his own writings before then um, were, were he, he's including by assumption. Um, so, 
he's making the connection that the scriptures that set up the expectation of salvation and reconciliation to God, the whole Old Testament, and the scriptures that attest to this salvation uh, actually coming and being accomplished by God the person, Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, his atoning death, death, and his victorious resurrection are both equally breathed out by God. Um, now concerning them, we've, ju- we've just spent a little while understanding that the, the extent of the phrase all scripture is the both, both Old and New Testament. Now let's reflect on a little bit this, this phrase is breathed out by God. Uh, by calling Scripture breathed out by God, Paul is asserting that God's role in the production of all Scripture is the same as or equal to, at least, uh, God's role in his creation of the universe and his breathing life into humanity uh, and, and really any other mighty work that God has accomplished by his Holy Spirit. And the reason for that is um, I think it's helpful to look at the actual word Paul used in the original language. Uh, it's it's a word called theonustos, and the first part of the word theo means God, and nustos means breathed. However, that, that second part of the word nustos, translated breathed in English, can also be translated and is also translated elsewhere, spirit. Um, and we can see this in, throughout Scripture, as in Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. And in, in the first chapter of Genesis, even, uh, the, second, the second verse of the Bible, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That was the, the very next verse is where it says, and God spoke and, and created all things. So God's speaking and His Spirit are, are uh, intertwined very closely. And in chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So we see that the breath of God and the Spirit of God are throughout the Scriptures used together, if not synonymously, in describing his sovereign, creating, and sustaining power. Uh, Here, again, how um, the Apostle Peter clarifies the subject, again, in the same uh, epistle in, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 20 and 21, uh, this is talking about prophecy of Scripture. Uh, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is, is saying that the Holy Spirit literally uh, carried the biblical writers, um, not that the biblical writers just wrote and God kind of uh, inspired the, their writing that was already there, like it was a human product that God breathed into or anything like that. But the Holy Spirit of God literally picked up and carried the biblical writers from the beginning to the very end so that the end product is fully God's. Uh, I think um, a, a quote by the uh, 19th century Presbyterian theologian Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield will, will help us kind of understand this. He says, The biblical writers do not conceive of the scriptures as a human product breathed into by the divine spirit and thus heightened in its qualities or given new qualities, but as a divine product produced through the instrumentality of men, making it clear that 
all Scripture is 100% the product of God, not a little bit men and God, but God used men to create uh, the Scriptures. And so it is God's. Um, And so now that we've... uh, reflected on sort of the extent of the scripture being Old and New Testament and how it is all breathed out from God, uh, I think it's, it's important now to dive into how Paul tells us that that scripture as breathed out by God is profitable to us. Um, and so let's turn our attention to the rest of verse 16 and, and verse 17. Paul says, this scripture as it is breathed out by God is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What I feel I must draw your attention to uh, first is that each of these points of application that, that Paul gives to Timothy tied directly back into several commands and exhortations that Paul makes to Timothy earlier on in 2 Timothy and in, in 1 Timothy. And, and I'm taking 1 and 2 Timothy together as sort of a literary unit written by the same person to the same person within a, within a uh, span of uh, just several years. So uh, for, uh, at least regarding uh, for teaching, we see in 1 Timothy, Paul exhort Timothy to, um, to command and to teach these things, meaning the gospel in, in verse 11 of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, and to uh, teach and urge these things in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, that's verse 2, and that uh, to, to keep watch uh, over on yourself and on the teaching, um, that's in, in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. And that uh, the qual- one of the qualifications for eldership is that they would be able to teach. Um, and, and regarding for reproof, uh, again, First Timothy, uh, the very the very opening uh, chapter of First Timothy, Paul charges Timothy to remain at Ephesus. Uh, this is verse three of uh, chapter one of First Timothy, uh, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Uh, meaning to, to, to charge people, to reprove them, to rebuke them. And, and later on in that same chapter, Paul rebukes people, um, namely Hymenaeus and Alexander, uh, so, uh, he, by handing them over to Satan that they may be taught not to blaspheme, which is very sharp rebuke or a form of reproof. Um, and as for, for correction, in in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, we see Paul exhort Timothy to correct his opponents with gentleness uh, and for training in righteousness. We see this theme all over, uh, especially 1 Timothy. Um, rather, train yourself for godliness. Uh, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and steadfastness. That's chapters 4 and 6 of 1 Timothy. Uh, elsewhere, uh, we have it... Um, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So over and over again, uh, Paul exhorts Timothy to, to teach and to repuve, reprove and rebuke and to correct people and to, to pursue righteousness. And um, what we must notice now, though, about each of those things is that Paul roots, Paul's, Paul's concern in each of those areas is saturated with concern for the gospel of Jesus, for the doctrine of the gospel so each of these things, uh, when, when Paul co- um, commands Timothy to teach, he, te- he commands him to teach um, 
the, the doctrine of, of Jesus, uh, sorry, um, the doctrine, uh, sound doctrine that is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Um, sorry, quoting that was difficult for a second. That's in verse 11 of chapter 1 of First Timothy. And when Paul um, has him rebuke people, it's so that uh, they may, he may rebuke people that teach any different doctrine. When, when he exhorts Timothy to correct people, it's so that they may come to a knowledge of the truth, may, may, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth in verse 25 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. And for training in righteousness that... Um, that, you're, that, that, that the doctrine of the gospel would be adorned uh, with good works that, that are prepared before us. Um, and so it is in this gospel-centered and gospel-saturated light uh, that we are to understand um, each of these points of application that, that Paul gives to Timothy. Uh, and, and also moving on to verse 17 uh, how to understand being complete and being equipped for every good work. Uh, being complete isn't that we do not sin, and being complete isn't that we're perfectly righteous because we know that none of those things happen in this lifetime, uh, but rather ob- the obvious gospel centrality of, of each of these points of, um, of, of application uh, means that it's the gospel that brings completeness to the Christian life and completeness to uh, the, the, the works that we, we do as, as, as believers in Jesus. And, and that ultimately it's the scriptures that profit us this completeness. And, and as far as being equipped for every good work, uh, this regards the good works, I think, that uh, were prepared in advance for us to walk in. Like in Ephesians 2, chapter 10, Paul says, for we are his, meaning God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So not just random good works and certainly not trusting in our good works for our justification, absolutely not, but rather being first justified by our faith in Christ and being made new, being made um, a new creation. God prepares specific good works for us to walk in and the gospel uh, from the God-breathed scriptures is what fully equips us to do that. So as far as uh, how all of this uh, should be applied to our lives, I think, I think the very first thing we ought to see is that uh, the principle and, and first and fundamental profit that we get from these God-breathed scriptures is the gospel from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. It's, it's the gospel from beginning to end because without the scriptures, we wouldn't know that God created the world, that God created humanity, male and female, in his image, and he created all things good. Um, and that we, we wouldn't know in Genesis 3 that man fell into sin and temptation and was spiritually separated from God in their sin, and that brought death to humanity uh, without God's scriptures, we wouldn't see, we wouldn't know that uh, God gave his law, his commandments in Exodus and his laws in Leviticus to reveal his holiness uh, and to really show us our true sinfulness. And especially in the Levitical laws about sacrifices, sort of setting up this idea of atonement that, that ultimately foreshadowing the atonement of Christ, but, but that, uh, at least in Leviticus, there would be 
uh, a shadow of, of, an, of an idea of atonement. And without the, the uh, God-breathed scriptures of the historical books of the Old Testament, we wouldn't know um, about God's true faithfulness to Israel even in their persistent sin. And the prophets, likewise, promising judgment for sin, yet also redemption in the Messiah all over Isaiah. In fact, the early church fathers considered Isaiah to be the fifth gospel account. It foreshadowed Jesus so much. And, and now branching over to the New Testament, we wouldn't, without these, these inspired scriptures, we wouldn't have the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and his teaching and his miracles and, and his his death, his, his wrath-absorbing death on our behalf and his victorious resurrection that, that gives us hope um, of, of resurrection when we put our faith in him and, and without the God-breathed epistles of the apostles, um, <clears throat> we wouldn't have God's interpretation of those historical events recorded for us to, to know and, and be intimately familiar with so that we would be made wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And, and ultimately in Revelation, we wouldn't have a picture of the, the consummation of the, the purpose, the consummation of history in, in Jesus' second coming and, and the beauty of all sin being punished justly by God and, and everyone who has faith in Jesus being uh, righteously and gloriously with God in heaven. So, so that is the principle uh, and and most foundational, fundamental uh, benefit and purpose that, that the scriptures have and, and why they've been God-breathed and given to us. Now, the second point of application for us uh, that, that logically follows that is that the gospel is the point of all the scriptures. Um, and, and I hope that's been made clear. Uh, even, even this text uh, tonight, that is, that's supposedly just about Scripture and the sort of doctrine of the Scripture and how it's breathed out by God and what it profits us. Um, we've seen that even that is pointing back to the gospel. Every almost clause of it points back to the gospel. Uh, and and the, the next point would be that gospel, the, the gospel should, sent, should be the center of all of our ministry, all the good works that God has prepared in advance for those who are made new uh, through faith in Jesus. Uh, the gospel should be the center of it. Remember, each of these things that, that Paul gives or that Paul commands Timothy to do, um, they're all for the sake of the gospel, as I just said. Uh, but but that should mean not just these things, but our evangelism, sharing our faith with people should be for the glory of the gospel. And our service to one another and to, to the onlooking world ought to be for the glory of the gospel. And our prayer and our worship and, and anything else you can think of, that all the good things that God prepares for us uh, in advance in our lives for us to do ought to be centered around the glory of the gospel. And, and it would follow then that the, the scriptures are what equip us to do those things because, like, because the scriptures are so gospel-centric. The scriptures are what prepare us to do those things and equip us to do those things. And, and my, my final point of, 
of application for, for, for our lives here is uh, just read the scriptures, love the scriptures, uh, grow in your affections for the scriptures as they are breathed out by God. Praise God that he's given us scriptures, uh, that he's inspired them, that they are wholly trustworthy and um, that they are infallible and, and hunger and thirst for them as they are the words of God and be satisfied in them and by them. And, uh, and, and that's all maybe a little lofty sounding, so maybe more practically, um, maybe just if, if you don't already um, kind of uh, make it a habit of being daily in the scriptures, maybe make, start making it a habit of your life to wake up and, and just read a psalm um, and, and, and be fed in that way, or, or a proverb, or uh, work your way through a gospel, you know, maybe a chapter before you go to bed each night. Um, maybe alternate between the Old Testament and the New Testament, because we have we seen, as we have seen, the Old Testament was the, was the original scriptures that all the, the New Testament writers before the New Testament was around used to preach the gospel to people and to learn about the gospel. And, and finally, just um, do it uh, with family and friends. Be in the Word and, and share the Word and, and hunger and thirst for the Word and, and read it out loud uh, with your family or, or with friends or, um, I don't know, do it in community. Um, let's, let's pray as, as we finish up and, and uh, pray that God would would, would apply the glory of, of this text, of, of, of his scriptures to, to our hearts. Gracious and glorious and holy Father God in heaven, again we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word gives us a testimony about itself, that it is from you, that it is breathed out by you, that it is wholly yours. Um, for our encouragement and for our edification, and, but ultimately that for the sake of the glory of your gospel, God. I pray that we would uh, submit ourselves to it, that we would bow underneath it, that we would joyfully read it and hear it and apply it daily to ourselves and, and that you would be in it and that you would, you would speak through it to us daily as, as a congregation of, of your believers and and ultimately, we thank you for the gospel that your word points to, that, that your son Jesus died for our sins, absorbing your just wrath against us and, and making his perfect righteousness available to us through faith, faith so that when we die and when we stand before you and your ultimate and glorious holiness in heaven, we will be able to say that we are yours through the gospel of your son, Jesus. And ultimately, that's what should shape our lives anyway. And it's in the name above all names uh, of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise God. Well done, brother. Well, let me give you three points of encouragement, and then remember what we've said. Don't go up to Stephen afterwards and tell him, I enjoyed that. Give him, tell him how his sermon helped us 
love Jesus more and follow him. And Stephen, I was so encouraged. First thing I just want to say is, like, there's so much about your generation that impresses me and like sometimes kind of annoys me. It's because I'm like a, you know, Gen Xer and Stephen and I, he gets mad when I say anything about millennials, but millennials are just, they're just gifted. They can just do stuff. They, they can piece things together. But one thing that I think plagues your generation sometimes is that they, they just, there's just a, 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 they're allergic to authority and absolute truth. And brother, let me just tell you, what are you, 22, 23? or whatever. I mean, you're, you're, you're standing on such firm ground, and as a result of your talk, I'm just more confident in the Bible. Like, that, 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 that's the takeaway, is that, that this is true, and your logical deductions that you work through just, just I think, uh, could embolden the person who's been a Christian for 40 years and be followed by somebody who it's the first time they've ever heard anything from the Bible. And brother, that, that was just excellent. Um, and then along those same lines, the second thing I would say is that, man, it just, it, it, it's so encouraging to see a young man your age, not because you have anything in you that's like, hey, listen to me, but it's because you are so consumed with the truth that you said several times throughout the just embedded, this is what we must see. Did you hear that phrase? And how can a 23-year-old, did you say 23 or 24? 22, 22-year-old even better, have the authority to tell a bunch of mostly older than him folks, we must see this and it not come across as arrogant but humble because it's true and he believes it. We must see this. And then I don't know if you caught this, but that first point of application where he walked us through Genesis 1 and then the law and then the historical books and then the prophets and then the New Testament, that was a little tiny course on biblical theology and you just got schooled and it was awesome. <laughs> So praise God, man. That was really, really good. Thank you, brother. Pray for Stephen as he goes to Winnipeg. Um, and, and, uh, and just praise God for the gifts he's given. Come on, man. I was not where he was and where Drew was, where Stephen is, where Josh is. I was just not where these guys are as a 22-year-old and theologically. And so praise God and just, I'm so encouraged, um, and, and the Lord has been kind to us. Next week, Kwame is going to speak, and um, I'm not sure, maybe something, I don't know where, I can't remember what you told me, but it's going to be out of the Bible somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so that, that'll be a joy to hear, hear Kwame, but um, praise God, Stephen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us. For these young brothers who love the word, who love the gospel, who love the glory of God, and who love the church, uh, may we be emboldened and encouraged to, to love your word more. As the psalmist says, says, teach us wonderful things from your law and make us more like Christ as a result of your word written by your spirit. And thank you for our brother spurring us on in this great truth. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.